Thank you for joining us here at First Love Ministries at the First Presbyterian Church of Jacksonville, Illinois for Sunday, July 4th, 2021. Reverend Jonathan Warren has titled his sermon today, United Kingdoms. Our liturgist for the day is Mary Lou Lale. Our organist is Christine Smith. Special music Sing a Jubilant Song is performed by vocal soloist Hannah Warren. Our first scripture reading today is from 2 Samuel 5, 1 through 5 and 9 through 10. Our gospel reading is from Mark 6, 1 through 13. Gospel reading today is from Mark chapter 6, verses 1 to 13. Let us listen to the word of God. He left that place and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. On the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astounded. They said, where did this man get all this? What is this wisdom that he has been given to him? What deeds of power are being done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, and Joseph, and Judah, and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Then Jesus said to them, Prophets are not without honor except in their hometown, and among their own kin, and in their own house. And he could do no deed of power there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and cured them, and he was amazed at their unbelief. Then he went about among the villages teaching. He called the 12 and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He ordered them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belt, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. He said to them, wherever you enter a house, stay there until you leave the place. If any place will not welcome you and they refuse to hear you, as you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that all should repent. They cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and cured them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
Our Old Testament reading comes to us from 2 Samuel chapter 5, verses 1 through 5 and 9 through 10. Let us listen to the word of God. Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, Look, we are your bone and flesh. For some time, while Saul was king over us, it was you who led us out Israel and brought it in. The Lord said to you, it is you who shall be shepherd of my people Israel, you who shall be ruler over Israel. So all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and King David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 40 years at Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months. And at Jerusalem, he reigned over all Israel and Judah 33 years. David occupied the stronghold and named it the city of David. David built the city all around from Milo inwards. And David became greater and greater, for the Lord, the God of hosts, was with him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. One of my favorite characters in the Old Testament is King David. I like the fact that he's clever, has a good heart, is a genius military strategist and leader. Now in this story, David is made king of all Israel, uniting the two kingdoms, the northern kingdom, the part that King Saul had led, and the southern kingdom, Judah, in which David was already king. Shortly after Abner, who was Saul's commander-in-chief, and Saul's son Ishbel are killed, the elders of the northern kingdom journey down to Hebron, Judah's capital, where David's ruling. If you remember, Hebron is where Abraham is told to journey. It's the burial place of Abraham and Sarah, of Jacob and Rachel. The elders of the north have nowhere else to turn. They need a war leader against the Philistines and Canaanites who are still active in the region. So the elders appeal to David to be their king. He valiantly led armies under King Saul after he defeated Goliath. And now that all of Saul's heirs and military commanders are no more, they personally request David to lead them. 
Now, David has an interesting task of leading these two vastly different kingdoms. We're united by faith in the God of Abraham, but are separated by region and culture. Imagine taking on this task to unite two different groups who are similar in some ways, but are also very different in other ways. As leader, David doesn't make Hebron the capital. Instead, he discovers a place in the middle of both kingdoms, the place we all know as Jerusalem. The only problem is it's occupied by the Jebusites. Now, coincidentally, the lectionary creators leave this part out. We skipped over it. Maybe they didn't want to focus on the messy part of war. Maybe they don't want you to be clouded by the fact that David defeated and killed the Jebusites in order to unite the kingdoms. In any event, brilliantly, David takes the city from the Jebusites, making it the capital. It's especially clever because he uses a place neither kingdom calls their own and makes it the capital of both kingdoms. Today, we know the city of David as Jerusalem. Eventually, his son, King Solomon, will level the mountaintop just above the city of David and put the great temple there. Now, it's interesting hearing this story on our country's day of independence. While reading about independence, I found some interesting articles about the Presbyterians and the American Revolution that I want to share with you. Presbyterian response to the war was far from monolithic. There were patriot, loyalist, and neutral Presbyterians. The majority of church leaders supported the rebels. Twelve of 56 signers of the Declaration of Independence were Presbyterian, including the only clergyman, John Witherspoon. George Duffield of Philadelphia's Third Presbyterian Church served as chaplain to the Continental Congress, and patriot pastors supported the war effort from their pulpits in every state. Everyday Presbyterians felt the war's impact in their communities and houses of worship. British troops occupied Boston, New York, Philadelphia, Charleston, and Savannah. From New England to the Carolinas, Presbyterian churches were seized to quarter troops or damaged by forces loyal to the crown who saw the revolution as primarily a Presbyterian rebellion, spoken by King George. James Caldwell, pastor of the Presbyterian Church in Elizabethtown, New Jersey, earned the moniker the Fighting Parson for his commitment to the rebel cause. He served as a chaplain to the Continental Army, and during June 1780 Battle of Springfield, Caldwell exhorted American troops to use pages from the copies of Isaac Watts' hymnal. I thought you might find that interesting, Christine. Copies of Isaac Watts' hymnal as gun wadding. Legend has it that Caldwell told the troops, give them Watts, boys. America's victory in the war benefited the many Presbyterians who supported the Patriot cause. John Witherspoon remained in the nation he helped create, leading efforts to formalize the Articles of Confederation in the U.S. Constitution. Anti-slavery views gained proponents, and in 1787, the Presbyterian Church came close to calling for immediate abolition. There's much more to be found. If you look up, if you Google Presbyterian Rebellion, there, there is quite a lot of information, many pages that you might find interesting. Now, I find it interesting that as much as we as a country want to be united, 
it's still very hard for us to be that way. Remember one time when I was standing in Independence Hall, the guide was telling us that the founding fathers couldn't decide what kind of representatives we should have in Congress. In fact, they almost didn't make a decision. They just couldn't agree. And then in the 11th hour, they decided to compromise and have both the Senate and the House of Representatives. As I've learned more about the history of our country and our early issues, we discover that we haven't really changed that much. Democracy is hard. The elections of American presidents today are just as slanderous as they were in 1800. The third presidency between Adams, Jefferson, and Burr, which was ultimately decided by the U.S. House of Representatives. After the Civil War, the Democrats would accept Hayes' victory, provided that Hayes remove all federal troops from the South, among other conditions. The compromise consolidated Democratic control of the region, effectively ending Reconstruction and reversing the gains that African Americans had made during the post-Civil War era. There's much, much more. It's interesting to look at our history. It is oftentimes cyclical. But let's get back to our scripture reading. How people get along is probably the heart of the matter in this passage. Somehow, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom are at an impasse. The northerns finally decide to elect a leader who can bridge the gap. Now, this is easier said than done. In fact, there are very few leaders who can unite a fractured people. Think about the few folks who have done it over the course of history. Abraham Lincoln, Mahatma Gandhi, Dr. King Jr., Nelson Mandela. Many still had fought wars and struggles in those times. Now, most politicians seem to promise they will change the status quo, yet many fail to actually do it. God provides us opportunity even as a church in the face of diversity of different opinions and experience to each use our gifts for the furthering of God's kingdom. But we are a diverse people. The story of uniting the kingdoms is certainly something we all yearn for, especially when things seem so politicized and polarized. Even when we do Google search, uh, it attempts to provide us with only the news we most search for. Television shows are no longer for the entire family, but rather individuals in the family so they can advertise specifically to that group. But most of us are much more complex than these advertisers' categories. An author shared this in a Facebook post several years ago. I've been with three different crowds in the last 48 hours, and at every event we've talked about race. We've talked about it loud and awkward and a little afraid, but we've done it. We've asked ourselves these questions. Why is it called a war on Christianity when folks say happy holidays, but when seven black churches burn within two weeks, it's called nothing at all? 
Why do we assume we'd have marched with MLK Jr. if we're not marching now? What is it that love requires of us in this particular moment in history? I'm obviously not old enough to have marched with Martin Luther King Jr., but I admire him greatly. Martin Luther King, in many ways, was like King David. He was chosen, maybe even against his will, to be the leader of his people. An amazing conflict-filled time of history. Both leaders were given the impossible task of uniting two opposing groups of people. Maybe neither succeeded completely, but King David and Dr. King each started their people off in the right direction. The same could be said for the founding fathers of our nation. They said this, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. They started us off. It took a second great awakening and a civil war to help us widen our scope, including women, black and brown people, and yet we still have a long ways to go. Maybe the question for this moment in our time is not whether or not we will march or stand or speak. Maybe what we should be asking is, who will we follow? King David did the impossible and unified two opposing kingdoms, but not on his own. Dr. King did the impossible and led a generation to rethink their ideas about opposing races. Between these two kings was another king, Jesus Christ. The trouble for you and me is Jesus never calls us to sit on the sidelines and wait. Jesus never says, be silent and maintain the status quo. We still have a lot of work to do. Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, does not call us to just be peaceful people. He calls us to walk in the world as peacemakers, as people who actively work to bring the kingdom of God on this earth, which is the only thing that will unite us and give us peace. No matter our position on politics or other things, we can all agree on this. We are called to follow Christ as diverse people, and today, we have the opportunity to respect, to love, to forgive one another. Not only here in this place, but as a church family, those who are active in our community, active in our country, active in our world. What is God going to do through you today, this week, this year, to show unity over division, to show love over hatred, to share Forgiveness instead of revenge. On this day of independence, which was once called the Presbyterian Rebellion, we are called to work to bring about the kingdom of God here on earth. It is not easy. It requires one thing, to follow Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The congregation and visitors can now enter through the east or north doors.
Our in-person service starts at 10 a.m. We do, however, ask that you keep your mask on while moving about in the building. In the sanctuary, there are two sections, one for vaccinated and one for unvaccinated individuals. The ushers will guide you to the section of your choice. Those in the vaccinated section can now sing without a mask. Join us at www.facebook.com slash firstpresjacks slash and join our Monday First Press Jacks community group, which meets at 7 p.m. every Monday. This is a question, answer, and sharing group with the pastor. This is a private room, and you will be asked a few questions before entering to make sure you are a human and not a robot. Presbyterians with a Purpose is another program available at the First Presbyterian Church of Jacksonville for individuals needing to contact someone during these challenging times of the pandemic. You can visit that link. Just visit our homepage and find the link for Presbyterians with a Purpose. We also offer a Sunday live service starting at 9.55 a.m. You can visit www.firstpresjax.org donate and make your contribution there. Or send contributions to First Presbyterian Church, 870 West College, Jacksonville, Illinois, 62650. You also can contribute through your bank using bill pay. If an account number is needed, please use 870-870-870. Our phone number is 217-245. 4189. Our email is office at firstpresjacks.org. That's office at f i r s t p r e s j a x dot o r g. 